I'm your host, Ken Lane, and this is the show where I bring on stellar guests from across the API universe to discuss, debate, and solve the latest topics around APIs and API first. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Changes. I'm pretty excited today. I have Raghav Chandra from Urban Company with me. Urban Company is, the, is Asia's largest home services platform. And he's come today to talk to me about their uh, microservices and their approach to you know building their company over the years. So welcome. Hey Ken, thanks for having me up. So so I wanna I wanna learn a little bit more about Urban Company first. What what value does Urban Company bring to the community? Yep. So we are we are a platform for um, local services. So these would mean services such as plumbers, electricians, beauticians, um, you know, fitness trainers, all bought into the houses of the consumers through a simple touch of a button. So we've been a six-year-old six company. We've been operating now across different countries uh, and, you know, the marketplace, but a fairly deep, fulfilled, full-stack marketplace. What, what countries are you operating in? Uh, so outside India, we've been uh, in UAE for a few years. Australia, Singapore, uh, and Saudi Arabia have been the more recent ones. Nice. So what does what does expansion look like for you? Is it just further strengthening those countries, or are you going to keep keep growing to other regions? I think I think the space we're operating in is a fairly global problem. Uh, so while in inception we were, you know, I think mostly just uh, you're attracted by the depth of the India problem statement, but I think in a few years of execution, we realized that you know consumer households across the globe struggle with dealing with just maintaining their homes and maintaining their personal lives. And as we experimented through a few countries, we realized while solutions might be a little different, the root problem is very similar, which is all households, all consumers struggle with having a decent uh, way of managing their households. So yeah, I think it's, it's been for us an experiment and we we'll probably you know, keep adding more cities and countries as we grow. The journey is very long. I think it's still on day one. Makes sense. Why, why do APIs and microservices matter, matter to all of this? APIs and microservices, so I will, if, if, if I can be a little meta, uh, I think the, the thought of APIs and microservices is not just about uh, doing APIs and microservices, it's about structuring. And for any company, it doesn't have to even be a tech company. How internally the teams get structured, how the company structured is what dictates how quickly can a company scale, how quickly can a company innovate. And I think APIs and microservices debate at the heart of this debate, whenever you kind of discuss this with anyone, um, you know, it all kind of comes back to how are you splitting things. You know, microservices, it's all about boundaries. Uh, you know, where do you want to draw those boundaries up? And I think that's why I really love, uh, love this whole debate on you know, be it APIs or microservices. How do you really decide what is ownership? How do you decide what's the right boundary for a team, for a code, for a company? Before, so before we dive into that, because I want to unpack that a little bit more, I want, I'd like to get to know you just a little bit better. What, what brought you to Urban Company? Why, why, why start a business like this? So I've had, uh, so I've been an engineer in my past. I you know, went to Berkeley uh, in, in Bay Area, did my software engineering there. 
worked at a couple of very interesting places. I was at Yelp as an intern. I was at Twitter. This is a pre-IPO days. Um, I think I got a lot of my engineering grooming from, from those days. But I think what really motivated me after a certain point was solving some tough problems. And for me, tough problems were problems which, you know, just regular people would be facing on a daily life, uh, on a daily basis. And, you know, that's when I decided to pack my bags, come back to India. Didn't matter if it was mine or someone else's. But what I did realize after moving back was there are tons of things which are broken. You know, I mean, you just have to throw a rock to figure out another big, big, you know, space of closet of, of problems. And uh, I think this is my second uh, startup building journey. So I was 23 when I moved back. I started an urban company. Uh, and then there was another startup before that which got started. Uh, then, uh, and I think it just so happens that uh, what we are doing here happens to be in one of the top uh, problem spaces, which I feel very passionate about. And if I had to kind of just list them, you know, it's unemployment, healthcare, and education. Uh, and urban company is all about employment, figuring out new ways for gig economy workers to be employed. So I think you know broadly that's what propelled me to start what we're doing here. Uh, there's a consumer story to this as well, but there's also this partner story, which is can we figure out a new way to create uh, employment, uh, not in the traditional sense, but but you know maybe there's a better way to employ the masses, skilled professionals, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think that's what got us started. Nice. So so have you always known you were an entrepreneur, or was there a moment where you were like, this is you know this is this is what I'm going to be doing? <laughs> Uh, that's a tough one. I think uh, for me, problem solving has been key. It, it's not mattered beyond the point uh, who's boss. Um, but uh, And hence, my definition of entrepreneurship is a little more generic. I think regardless, you, know, you don't have to start your own company. You could be in a, any company. But having the spirit of entrepreneurship for me is essential, which is the spirit of identifying problems, obsessing over them. There's a certain paranoia. I think that's what I enjoy. That's what I thrive, thrive on. But you use the phrase backyard scientist in your in your bio. What does that mean? How does that fit in? So I think the last last year has been a pretty amazing year to discover myself as well. So you know, as a, as a science student, as an engineer, groomed in a certain way, but only recent the fascination of science dawned on me. And I think through the last year, because of the pandemic, we spent so much of time at home. I've I found myself enjoying all kinds of, you know, projects, uh, and I think I'll, I'll maybe share just one of them. I got super obsessed with this thing called hydroponics, which is how you grow grow plants uh, using just water. And I, I was, as as a science guy, I obviously over-engineered things. So for growing four tomato plants, I had a whole automated system running with timer and you know automated mixture. So. Uh, I think that's what classifies me as a backlit scientist. Uh, I think that fits well into the, translates well into the startup and trying to uh, solve problems and iterate and, 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 you know, provide solutions over time. So, well, back, back to the microservices conversation. So you said, you know, microservices are all about boundaries. What does microservice mean to you? What is your definition of what a microservice is? Hmm. I would actually start by saying that it's very hard to come up with a common definition. Everyone has various ways, and the easiest way I think of it is 
Um, I'd actually use a softer term. I would use modules as as as, as a way to establish what I'm trying to say. Um, I think what modules is very important, uh, or where you try to split those boundaries. And and I think it, it's there are different layers. Um, your code could be separated by certain boundaries, right? Just separation of code itself could be perhaps one version of microservices. Along with code, you can add uh, infrastructure separation also to this. So, you know, if my there's a certain module and if that also has its own hosting, its own database, its own data tables owned by that service, right? That could be a definition of microservices where your deployment also starts to change. And I would say it can go as far as even teams. If you imagine a company as literally microservices, right? Uh, your code, your infra, your teams are all aligned in the same box. Right, your team members are also your teams are also the boundaries of separation are very similar. Uh, that could be microservices operating at a company level. Uh, I personally like that definition. The last one, it's not a very technical. It's, it's 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 there is a reason why it's important for companies, and for me, it kind of comes from you know teams. Companies should be viewed as capabilities, and capabilities are formed by people, by code, uh, and you know, the tech stack below it. And I think all of them align. Forms the perfect microservice. Makes sense. So one one dominant API pattern that has influenced, I would say, the microservices movement is REST. is a is a resource oriented way of approaching the design of your APIs. Are your do your APIs follow RESTful patterns? Our APIs don't follow micro uh, RESTful patterns. I think. Uh, it's been six plus years for us when we decided to move on to microservices. Uh, we, I mean, as any company, we were a big fat monolith uh, with all the goods and bags of it. Um, before we moved into our first microservice, we actually created a microservices platform and we decided to go with RPC, uh, remote procedural calls, um, which kind of removed the requirement for, for being restful. Um, and I think fundamentally what and why that made sense was I at least personally feel REST belongs to the you know Web 2.1, uh, one sorry Web 1.0 era uh, where you know these nomenclatures of what's post, what's put, what's delete, and all of this like a very typical crud mattered a lot. Uh, but in today's world, I think these interfaces, the clients have become so complex that there is one API can't be classified purely as a get or a create or a post and so on and so forth. So that nomenclature just kind of lost, it, lost its meaning beyond the point. Uh, so for us, inside our RPC, we still use HTTP and we actually use post calls. Uh, but for an, from an engineering lens, it doesn't matter because it's RPC for, for all the teams. So you know, if, even if you use anything else below it, it doesn't matter. So within, that, within all of that, if you embrace the full microservices approach, one pattern that's emerging out of out of groups doing it at, at the scale you are is what's considered event driven. So I would say what you said about REST, it you you outgrow REST pretty quick. I think a lot of folks have hit hit the limits of what REST is capable of. You did that early on, but another kind of limit folks hit with it is they need they need to respond to events that are happening across the infrastructure, not just make procedure calls or make you know call make requests to to resources so are, are you have you embraced an event-driven approach 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as you as you rightly put it, um, there's a very typical journey of any company, whatever, like stack you start. If you look at the community, the way your code communicates, it starts off with code is communicating using just functions within a single repository, right? Then it evolves into, because complication comes in, you want microservices, your teams get larger. It evolves into network calls. Uh, but very soon, even network calls become very hard. So you need another way to communicate, which is through publishing. Because see, fundamentally, uh, simplest microservices are still based on pull requests, right? You're requesting someone for information and then they'll send it back, right? Events flips that model. I'm just going to publish. Whoever's interested in what I'm sending, you can listen in and get that information. Uh, and I think that becomes important when teams, I think there's a certain size and scale when it becomes very important. When team becomes large enough, when services become complex enough, uh, I don't want to, and then there are a lot of dependencies on a single service, right? If you don't use async events, your service has to then integrate everything, single dependency into itself because they want information, right? And I have to push that information to them uh, by, by literally calling their API, which is the ownership kind of flips. Um, so yeah, so we absolutely use uh, microservices along with um, events or asynchronous. Yeah, so so how does this translate to the end, the customer, the end user experience? It, I mean, it, it, I think there's certain parts which translate a lot uh, to consumers. So whenever you want to, um, let me take a good example. I think events become very important when you are doing a lot of real-time processing in your company, right? So if based on a certain behavior on the app, I want to quickly get back to a consumer and recommend them something else, uh, right? The only way to do that is as consumers are doing actions, you use events to, uh, you know, index, process, figure out is that event useful or not, and then you use that to push it back to the consumer. Um, technically, when you kind of send you know, SMSs or push notifications to consumers, that's also push event. You know, the consumer using the app is a traditional way. You pushing information to them is, is this whole asynchronous paradigm translating to consumers as well. Uh, but then these would be some examples. We do a lot of uh, processing uh, based on events. Like a lot of our data systems rely on uh, asynchronous events and not you know, the typical microservice procedure calls. Yeah, no, definitely. I can see how events really translate into what's meaningful to the end users, what's going to matter to them. And so there's a lot of microservices. This is a lot of events firing across these different domains or boundaries that you have set up. How do you keep track of it, all of it? How do you know all the microservices that you have? You know, I, back in Twitter days, um, I remember we used to have this massive printout of all possible you know services which are happening. It was a printout. There was no other way to visualize that, um, and it was a mess. We used to call it the spider web. Um, I think that that's a Good way to summarize most companies' struggles. You know, most companies start off microservices by you know, just allowing teams to do whatever they want because hey, microservices now you're independent from the rest. Right? The problem there is very soon uh, you run into this problem of standardization. 
because there are so many different versions of how microservices could be done, and every team is empowered to choose their own tech stack and figure it out themselves. Uh, it's very hard to drive a certain amount of sophistication into the stack you build internally for yourself. I think one of those symptoms is you know tracking. Uh, tracking is actually a very hard problem in in, in distributed world, right? Like if you want, if there is an error which happens, you want it to be traced across the full length of all the microservices which got called and so on and so forth. Um, and, and that kind of requires everything to be standardized. Um, so what we did, and I think what, what we are very proud of and something which has been our learning experience is we actually standardized the stack very early on. Uh, and as a result, we were able to build in a lot of sophistication because every single team, every single microservice in the same system underneath it. Right, and they're using you know, and, and that allows us to put anything at a platform level directly without even bothering with it. So, if you want to upgrade our tracking systems, or if you want to you know change our networking protocol, if you want to go away from HTTP to something completely different, right? Like you can change our serialization from JSON to you know protobuf. Uh, no engineering team gets disrupted. So I think that's been a magic for urban company engineering, uh, and that's allowed us to kind of do a lot of beautiful things on top and I think one of the most interesting things when it comes to tracking is how we visualize our whole world. So we have a live dashboard which you can go on and click on and it will show you every single microservice and the databases which are running and how each service calls the other service. Right? So you have the whole dependency graph mapped out live uh, and we also put rules. Right? So we we've, we've classified microservices and databases into tiers right? like you have your Core business gateway, and there are certain rules where a core can't be called directly from a gateway, or you know, uh, a certain dependencies are bad. So different, you know, we cascading and circuit breakers are also very important constructs in microservices. So without getting into jargon, you basically want a lot of rules enforced in your microservices world, and it's very easy for us because it all kind of gets tracked automatically, and it's the same system running, so it's very easy to standardize anything. Yeah, I would say a lot of folks I talk to have embraced observability, but observability tends to begin with just monitoring and uptime and status of 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 services. But it sounds like observability to you involves traceability, dependencies, and much more. Yeah, I think I think anything you could observe pretty much everything in anything. Um, and people expect the bare minimum to be observed, like performance metrics and stuff. But I think there are a lot more interesting things you could do in this whole theme, right? You can trace, uh, and tracing might be something which engineers would know of, but you know, it's not just about tracing the API call. Uh, we are able to trace business nomenclature as well. So, you know, I as a user will have a user ID, uh, right? And if my API calls are made across different microservices, uh, I don't need a transaction ID. I can literally use my user ID and see where all my requests went. And this is very helpful because when you're debugging, uh, you actually know my user ID. You don't need my know my device ID or some like secure transaction ID, right? So I think there's a lot of depth you could go into by just observing systems much better. Um, I mean, we 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 are able to trace costs at every microservice level. So our hosting environment, our database costs. Even our costs for uh, you know event queue. So we use Kafka, and there is you know we attribute Kafka to who all are consuming and producing. We're able to bubble the whole costing environment at every service level. 
which is great because then it's very easy to kind of get teams to realize their costing and performance and so on and so forth. Wow. So you're not just tracing problems. You're tracing the business and the, and the cost of your operations. Wow. That's pretty, pretty impressive. I think I haven't, I haven't come across too many examples of that when it comes to traceability, but that's pretty key because it's complex, like you said, and to be able to understand the, the, the business implications, the cost, the scope of, of what you're spending and, and teams are able to observe that. So that's a whole nother dimension of observability. I'm, Wow, we're probably going to have to have another conversation down the road on that one because that's that's pretty sophisticated. I'm impressed. So how how do you communicate across your teams when it comes to observability? I mean, they have this dashboard. Does everyone across your teams all use this dashboard to stay in touch with what's going on, or are there other ways that they they communicate and 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 work together? I think observing could happen for various reasons, and they could happen at various levels. Um, you can observe your business, now that's outside the scope of microservices and APIs. Uh, any feature you build, you basically put metrics and that allows you to observe how things are doing. But more at a technical level, uh, I think you're observing how interactions between different services happen. Uh, that's, that's one purpose of observing. Uh, and you can kind of go one level deeper and look at you know, costing and performance and so on and so forth, the functional, functional part of engineering. Uh, I think in, in companies, how easy or difficult this gets is totally dependent on how much companies have been able to standardize. Uh, right? Given we are standardized, it, it, it kind of gives us a few very interesting perks. Uh, uh, one such perk is we have centralized dashboard, right? So we have, so if you want to measure, we actually do have some centralized dashboard where you just take the microservice name and it will give you pretty much all metrics around it. And if it's linked to other microservices, you just basically click on it. You're looking at another microservice. Uh, similarly, a logging, uh, it all logs onto the same environment and the logs are structured in the same way. So it's very easy to kind of debug things. Because now when you have bugs or when you have queries and you want to kind of deep dive into system logs, it's very like, it's almost like a language you and, and, the, uh, and your log files can talk on. Like you can communicate with your logs by asking it very specific questions, and it won't break because it's standardized. Right? So I can very specifically ask for uh, you know all logs generated by ABCD user ID, and it will give me a list of uh, here the five microservices. This is when the logs were called. Um, I can even look at parameters. So whenever there's a bug which happens um, in any service, right? We actually are able to track if there is an error in the service, we will log the parameters, the API parameters by which it was called. Why? Because it's super helpful for an engineer to know under what conditions did my code fail. Um, right? And and engineers don't have to work towards this because this is a guarantee for everyone working on our stack that this will happen by default. And I think those are some of the pretty nifty perks of standardizing stacks, which you kind of start to juice out. Yeah. So you, you mentioned several times, you know, in the context of boundaries in your business, you, you kind of alluded to, I'd, I'd like to dig in more about the structure of your platform. So how did you organize your, your company and your platform to operate to, to kind of, you know, maximize this and standardize what, how you deliver microservices? I'll, I'll talk about platformization at two levels. I'll, I'll first talk about the more obvious one. So, uh, very early on, we created a platform team in engineering 
so while the rest of the engineering teams are more focused on what you might call as product or business facing problem statements, there is a full vertical in engineering called platform. Right? And we started early here. And that's how we were able to invest very quickly in building some of these. Uh, the secret here is not fully creating a team. The secret here is top-down mandate. Right? I think that the top leadership needs to be very, very passionate about standardizing a few things because just the team itself is not able to drive some of those. Right? The team gets stuck. They're not able to actually drive a cross-team initiative. Uh, but there's a platformization which also happens one level above for us at a business level. Uh, so our business, as, as I've talked about, is, is structured as categories, right? You have beauty services, you have home services, you have cleaning services. And the natural thought which will come into someone's mind is, well, then the engineering team must also be structured the same way, where you have one engineering team which is focusing on beauty, another engineering team which is focusing on cleaning, another engineering team which is focusing on uh, homes or appliances, right? But that's not what we do. So what we've done is, while our business is structured by categories, our tech teams are platformized, uh, meaning they have centralized capabilities. So we will have one team which will focus on growth, and this and this team will build capabilities of features which will power all business units. Uh, right, and I think that that helps build a certain amount of standardization uh, in our company. Uh, and that standardization is what drives high degrees of sophistication. Um, so you'll see this even in engineering where you, know, you have different teams, you have growth, supply, marketplace, and then you have platform. Uh, and because we have one platform team, it's able to actually cater to all engineering needs versus every team having their own DevOps, having their own kind of tech stack. Uh, and it just kind of reduces the speed of, of any team working. So, so we there's success for platformization. We do it at a business level, we do it at a tech level, we do it at a core level. We're all 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 in platforms. Yeah, no, you, you got a, a few of my other questions there around. I was going to dig in what a platform means, but you you kind of nailed it for me. So when it comes to standardization, I mean, you talked about you know everyone does RPC. You have common patterns there. What else uh, can Teams choose their own programming languages. What what else do you uh, you know kind of? You seem to have an opinionated approach to to how things should be done. What else do you you uh, define at that level? Actually, that's the word I use when I describe platforms, and it's a little counterintuitive because people imagine platforms to be things which are customizable. Um, but inside a company, I think platforms, at least the way we look at it, is all right, and you're able to gain. As a company, we have we prescribe to the opinionated philosophy, and the reason is uh, when you're working on. Let me actually walk walk back a little. There's a whole interesting debate in physics of speed versus velocity. Uh, right, speed is you are just being fast, but velocity is it's not just enough to be fast. Where you are heading is also equally important. Right now, in my opinion, company building is a very similar battle. Right, you can hustle your way by being very quick. Right? But oftentimes, the boldest and the most interesting leverage in companies happen when you have a very clear direction. You don't, you know, there's a heuristic. You don't want to explore every path. You want to kind of just go in with a sharp focus. It's fine to fail as long as there is an opinion. I think that's where the debate for even platformization in our tech become important. Uh, we have consciously 
preferred having strong opinions for whatever we do, and that that will include things like our tech stack. And then I'll explain the reason first. Uh, the reason is simple. We want our engineering teams to obsess over customers, their problem statements, right? Uh, so that they can kind of build this futuristic world which will help our company grow. But if an engineer is kind of bottlenecked with how am I going to do this deployment? How do I scale systems? Oh gosh, like you know, there's this new tech stack in the ecosystem. Why don't we use that? Then he's not actually solving core strategic problems. He's kind of solving you know, pure tech problems which might not kind of matter. Right? So given this philosophy, uh, we kind of went in, we introspected very early on, and we said, you know what, a lot of these things don't matter. We will have one team which is constantly thinking. We are not opposed to innovation, but by default, we are going to have sharp opinions. We will have a sharp opinion on a tech stack. Right? As long as the tech stack is stable, you, you don't want to optimize it. There is no perfect tech stack. You have bad tech stacks, but there is no perfect tech stack for you. It's all about how companies use it, right? Um, and using that philosophy, we basically standardize. So we are no JS shop. Um, we use TypeScript for everything. TypeScript is a programming language. In fact, our scripts run on TypeScript. Our you know, backend deployable code runs on TypeScript. Our client code runs on TypeScript. Uh, right. So for an engineer, it becomes very easy. Right. It, you we truly can have full stack engineers because every part of code is now on a very familiar stack for them. Um, so yeah. So cutting a long explanation short, we do have a standardized programming language. Uh, and because that works for us, it's, it's not given us trouble, it's scalable for the next foreseeable future, and it's fine. That's not the only stack, we have a few other stacks as well. But for our data team, which is a much smaller team, you know, they use Scala, DevOps will use probably a little bit of Python and some system languages. But for the vast majority of teams, it's just one stack so that they can focus on business and not tech. Well, it sounds like it's not just opinionated. You've done your homework on why why you're opinionated in this way and it, it makes sense from a an infrastructure and 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 you know you touched on the velocity piece and so what else have you done because this is i would say the the one of the the main concerns for folks trying to get a handle on microservices and understand is 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 they want to move fast they want to be able to respond to changes in the markets they want to grow into new markets so what else, what other types of investments have you done to enable velocity? I think if, if I could teach a man how to fish, uh, the answer is you have to be very close. Uh, I mean, you have to be very proactive in figuring out what the junior members of your team do. All right? And as a leader, uh, if, if you are in, in good touch with how their life is, how productive they are, you're probably automatically going to figure out how to improve things for the better. Uh, one thing which I see in a lot of companies is as you become senior in engineering, you become a manager, you're outsourcing every part to junior members and you lose touch with reality. Right now, the trouble is, hence, you're not able to come in with the right opinion, with the right changes. The reason why a lot of companies don't have such a sharp opinion on services and stuff is because, again, leaders are not as involved at the Ground level. So I think this is this is one process which will fix. But more tactically speaking, I think something which will work for us. Uh, one was standardizing a microservices stack, and I think it started with standardizing the programming, the language stack itself, because we realize it's a waste of time. Uh, our choice works well, uh, so let's not care about optimizing. Let's not be 
too cute, you know, can use Golan, you know, those stats also have their own problems. So it's not like those teams are very... Uh, then we built on top of that. We realized the most popular choice of scripts and, you know, every engineer's nightmare is whenever you have issues, you, you know, especially in early days, you love to run scripts which will do massive data migrations. The trouble is, I've written my code in Node.js or my, on JavaScript or whatever, some other language. Now I have to migrate databases, now I have to rewrite some parts of my validation in where I write my scripts and most times it's Python. Right? So for most companies, your scripting stack is Python and your regular microservices stack is whatever language you've chosen. Um, right? And that's why script becomes like that dirty secret, the dirty laundry which no company or no engineer wants to share because you, know, you actually don't care about anything. You don't test those, you know, they will have errors, no one cares about them. Uh, but it's a concern, right? It actually does break a lot of things. So what we did was, we actually, because the primary stack was JavaScript, which is actually conducive to, you know, it's a lightweight thing. It's, you know, it's similar to Python in terms of ease. We migrated our scripting stack also to, uh, to our primary stack. So, and the reason was, we did it in a way not just, I think the beauty is not that people can use JavaScript or TypeScript. That's okay, you can use Python also, that was the reason. The beauty is, scripts, and services now can share code. So if I'm writing a script, I can literally pull a function from my regular microservice, which I've written. And it works, so I don't have to rewrite the validation. I don't have to rewrite you know, the, 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 the translations and so on and so forth. Um, so you know, that was a hack which we pulled out, which was very helpful. Um, I think some of the more recent things which we are doing, not per se related to microservices, so actually, you know, when you, when you look at clients, client engineering, so your app world, your web world, um, we often don't look at those those ecosystems and say microservices because microservices for backend. But the same problems exist over there as well. Code is not well separated in those ecosystems. They are also monoliths. So the equivalent of microservices in the front end world is something which we are working on today. You know, I can't prescribe that because you've not cracked that problem. But we are attempting at standardizing the stack on React Native um, so that we don't have Android, iOS, web. We have just one consolidated stack. And we're platformizing that so that there is an opinionated way to even structure your code um, so that you know, engineers know how to do, how, how to structure things. And I think some of you know, those design battles get solved by just giving a guideline on how basic code needs to be written and so on and so forth. So I think these have been some of the hacks which we've been able to pull through. I like it. Opinionated all from the front end all the way to the back and, and back again. I like that. So as I, as I was working through your site and, and reading blog posts and, and a lot of what you posted, you have a, a, a phrase that you use called 10x engineering. What is that? What does that mean? I think it's, it's, a, it's a rhetoric, uh, if, uh, but it's a very popular rhetoric. Uh, it's been used time and again by generations to describe um, how there are certain teams or certain engineers who outdo the norm. And I think it started back back in the day when we genuinely could have certain languages be much better. But I think in today's context, 10x engineering has become a phrase we use to kind of signify really high output engineering teams versus Averagely good engineering teams, right? And 10x for me is the impact. 
Rajasthan teams which are able to create compounding impact, um, right? You know, so that when you look back, you're able to say, hey, we, we actually pulled in levers and today we are able to actually do 10x better. Uh, so yeah, for me, this 10x engineering is all about how certain engineering teams are able to create more impact. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but as you said, I think you have to think of all of that and the junior developers. It, it, it was interesting to hear you say that you're, your velocity is really rooted in how fast your junior developer is not just tech velocity, it's people velocity, it's, it's organizational velocity. So I think you have a really healthy view of the landscape to on, on what the business impact of, of all of that's going to be, not just the highest performing teams, but the actual junior levels and how everything's going to impact it. So, so moving beyond the, the, the tech of this, I mean, Where's your passion? What 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 drives your passion behind doing Urban Company every day? What keeps you going? Is it just the startup hunt? What what is it that that drives you? It's the multitude of problems uh, which which keep me occupied. Um, you know, I spend most of my time with with uh, you know, of course, as a founder, you're kind of looking at general business, but most of my ingrained depth time goes with you know teams like engineering, product design data um, and I think not just me anyone at urban company what drives is is just so many problems yet to be solved uh, right and that's what keeps us happy I mean it's a, it's a more meta question right like what's the purpose of life and and I think for a lot of us it kind of becomes you know as long as our problems which we're solving that satisfaction of solving deep problems is what I live for uh, so yeah that's what keeps Keeps me uh, keeps me busy. I think there's another certain paranoia of quality. So you know, it's not just about solving a problem; it's solving a problem really well, uh, right? And outdoing yourself in terms of expectation. And I think it's that self benchmark which which actually makes uh, you know work a lot more fun than you know what you'd imagine. So how do you you mention you know? solving problems with your engineering teams, your data teams, how do you stay up to speed on what's happening at Urban Company and what's going on across these teams? Um, I, there are two ways. There's a structured way where, you know, you'll have meetings and conversations and I think, you know, any, any leader or manager would structure his work where you're planning and then you're kind of meeting with different stakeholders, team members, either, either you're meeting people to check, check, check based on that person or you're kind of having meetings on projects. Uh, but I think those are more understood constructs. Um, my, my favorite way to figure out what's happening is skipping, you know, all the management layer and, you know, going straight to the root of it. For example, uh, it is fairly known in our, in our teams that, you know, we're not always, but sometimes rather will go and just open up a repository and look at it. Uh, Right? And that's the easiest way for me to understand how well things are getting engineered. Is the design done well? Right? Are people understanding things? Uh, or you know, it, it's very evident to kind of figure out faults when you're looking at the actual end outcome. So I look at code. I will, as a consumer of a product, look at any features we've launched or, or you know, how business is doing is best expressed by me being a consumer. Right? I will do calls with our partners or our professionals to understand their pain points. Uh, 
You know, so I think it's a very popular saying, trust would verify. So trust is the structured stuff. What I'm describing is the verification process where I want to jump straight to the grassroots level and really get a sense of, you know, are plans really solving the right problems? Emotionally get charged about, you know, how our impact is going. And I think that's what gives me a lot of conviction in what needs to be done, what doesn't, what should not be done. Nice. I like it. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, it really allows you to have your your finger on the pulse of what's happening and not just rely on your executive, you know, your the VP level to to give you your information. So how do you do this outside of urban company? How do you stay in tune with what's what's, what's moving, moving and shaking and what's what's, what's, what's happening, happening in the tech scene or what's, you know, not, you know, maybe just a trend and something you shouldn't worry about in this space? I'll be honest, I'm not very good at that. There's no, I mean, that's, that's a hard one. There are certain ways you could do it. And some people get really good at it. Um, I love to talk to people. I think the easiest way to understand what's happening is having conversations. Um, even this conversation, I have a few things which I can take away with in what you've said and how you've addressed things, right? I think just talking to people is a very healthy way to gather information. Uh, a lot of reading helps. Um, Right, you can be reading books. You could be reading, reading online articles. I mean, in today's world, reading can be compensated by watching YouTube videos. I, I really like YouTube videos or audio or podcasts a lot because it allows you to do things on the go. It's a little more crisper. Uh, you can do things while you're busy, you know, taking a job or some of those. I think those are some of the good ways to be abreast with other things. Um, but I, I know that there are much better ways. To go about this. See, it's all about discipline, right? Like, um, I don't think you need innovative ways to find, you know, uh, find new things. It's more about discipline. The simplest of techniques will work wonderfully if you're very disciplined about things. It's like exercise. Uh, so, if you're talking to people, is your way to, I mean, you have to be disciplined. You have to find the right people to talk to. You have to do it as a habit. Uh, you're probably going to know everything. So, but yeah, that's my weak spot. I'm. A lot of what I learn is actually from my own team members. When I'm conversing and I throw in ideas and they want to come give me pushback on, you know what, have you heard about ABCD? And I'm like, oh, great. No, I haven't actually. Let me, let me research more on this. So that's my way. Yeah. Well, I would say my world is I spent the last decade being an analyst, kind of studying out of surface everything and, and staying on top of everything in the world of APIs and microservices that's happening out there. And I felt like having had a history, a 20 year history before that of owning, you know, production and having my hands in operations, I wanted to find a, a way of balancing that. I don't want to own production systems anymore, uh, I, but I do want to understand how things work. And so Postman for me is, is my vehicle to do that. And I get to have conversations with folks like you, but hopefully I get to help also share because this will, this is a podcast and other folks can listen, but I get to, you know, I get a peek inside some pretty interesting companies like like Urban Company and and others. I just uh, I'm going to be doing Netflix or, or not Netflix, uh, eBay's next. Then I'm doing Ford, and so it's 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 interesting to see how how people work inside. And then I get to pay attention to the bigger picture and have conversations with with you. So how how has Urban Company changed you? Changed your life? Would you say? That's a hard assessment to make because um, 
my adult life has all been urban coming so there's no benchmark which i have uh you know after leaving i think it was hardly 2 years after leaving college when we started this so so this has been life for me um it i think some interesting things which which i reflect on i think one or two come to my mind um as an entrepreneur um uh, i was very obsessed with ideas you know when i was young in my journey all right you know i have a fantastic idea i remember the day when i moved back uh, to india to start my first company i already had a product made right and it was using i think firebase was the rage back then it was just launched this is back in 2013 all right and i said you know what i can make an uber like app uh, on a web page and you know use angular and you know oh, wow amazing stuff and the day i actually launched and tried to get my first customer i realized that's all bs like it is it, irrelevant right like this the stack which i have built is not going to matter so much and i think when i reflect and see my journey through the years one of those big learnings in life has been not to focus on solutions uh, that hundreds of ways to solve problem solve the problems uh, it's very important to focus on problems uh, right and identifying these problems and and the funny thing is i'm so obsessed about this uh, and i use this not at work only but also in my personal life so if you talk to my parents they get really frustrated with me because i'm throwing concepts like what's the problem you know don't jump into the solution guys uh, i mean my my sister who's also product manager uh, jokingly you know pulls my leg because i have been heard you know i i obviously wouldn't claim but i i've been heard using terms like okrs in my family meetings uh, so so i think how urban clap has affected me runs deep and sometimes it's hard for me to figure out how it has <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. Uh, per, uh, family OKRs, parental. You're, that, I really like that. That's a, it's an interesting way to, I mean, but I'm glad your sister, you can, can relate with you because I'm sure she, uh, she, you know, thinks of the world in similar ways. So um, I can relate. I, I live and breathe APIs. And to be honest, you know, I've been doing this for about 12 years now, solid and before that i wasn't really that good at much else and i've been pretty good at apis and so i kind of live and breathe it too so i i can relate i mean it it becomes your life it definitely can can take over so what do you do to take your mind off of work i mean it sounds like you're your hydroponics uh and growing what else what else do you do to take your mind off all this yeah no, i think uh, i i have a lot of passions i don't you know i don't sustain passions for too long but i do get really really into something and you know name of you my most recent one has been tennis in fact just before this podcast i took you know one hour break in the middle of the day middle of the work kind of hit a few shots on the wall um this has been a more recent love of life um, mm-hmm. um i was obsessed with ukulele so i wrote a whole blog on chords and chord theory and and I'm no professional by the way when it comes to music so it's just the the, the depth of research and the interest i had just made me write a very technical sounding blog on on that um so i think these have been a few things cocktail making is also also been been something which which i got introduced to earlier this year so i got very fascinated by margaritas uh, and how to make them at home um uh, and i mean If, if you know me well enough you would be like boss like cocktails is not my thing and i hardly drink and it's very weird that i found this but uh, so yeah lots of hidden passions <laughs> every month is a new flavor yeah it sounds like once you pick something up though you 
you commit and you go you go all in to understand what it's about and experience it and then and then you're happy to move on to the next thing as well so i i like that i think that's a that'll keep you keep your mind healthy as you get older as we get older because you'll always be curious and always be diving into something else well i mean this this is great i have to say so how i how i learned about you uh i was just doing a leadership meeting in Postman, and our integrations team is run by Abhijit Kane, who is one of the co-founders of, of Postman. And because I'm the chief evangelist and I focus on APIs, we meet regularly. And I was explaining to him what, you know, what I want breaking changes to be. I want it to, I don't want to go deep dive into the tech because I don't, we have DevRel uh, that works with our developers and our, our developer community. I want to speak more to business leadership, CXOs, product managers, engineering managers, and I want to find people who are practitioners. I'm tired of talking to folks who just talk about APIs that don't actually understand why, you know, why we're doing APIs and microservices. He's like, I know someone and you, you came to mind and he recommended that, that I reach out to you. So I have to say it, it, it worked out well. It was exactly what I was looking for. Just hearing how you went through your thought process, you know, your opinionated approach, the the uh, attention to detail and going through, you know, uh, microservices. And, and I hear a lot of opinions about microservices, but they weren't, at, they're not rarely as precise as what I heard from you. So thank you. That's, I, I got, I got what I needed out of this conversation. I hope you did as well. Yes, you've been very kind, and I think these are all journeys. And uh, I think the one thing which I want to share about Postman, I've, I've shared this publicly as well with Kane, is uh, very few products uh, are just so essential to an engineer that you just expect that to be, you know, I mean, you code, right? So you, there are certain tools you just take for granted. Uh, and back in the day, and you know, as a young engineer, when I moved back, I didn't know Kane then, uh, you know, Postman happened to be one of those products, which I think every engineer, especially, I, I don't know, I don't know every engineer, but when I was growing as an engineer in college and stuff, it was the de facto tool to explore the world around. Uh, and I was super psyched and happy to find out, uh, you know, that there's a connection to Abhijit. And, uh, so I think, I think it's, 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 you know, the best products are products which are just so organic that they feel that they're not products. They're just, you know, that's the de facto. Uh, and I think Postman fits right in that bucket. And I think that's 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 also been why it's been doing so well. So kudos yeah. to the whole gentleman to you. And yeah, it, it, you. I think you described it well. Exploring the world because it, it APIs and microservices are so abstract and hard to see sometimes that you, you need it. You need help exploring that world and being able to to see how it works and and play with it and understand it and tweak it and mess with it. So yeah, that's. That's definitely why I'm here. I couldn't think of a better place to be. So, well, um, this has been great. I really appreciate your time today. Um, I would I would love to reach out again in the future um, as we we keep going with the show. I think we're going to reach out to past guests where it's kind of it's coming up to uh, Postman Galaxy and our other conferences. We're going to invite some people back to speak and be part of that. Um, but same on your end. I would love to to you know just learn more about what 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 you guys keep building and and how things are going. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.